Hello. <laughs> Just deep oh, oh, oh. It's a little too big for my teeth. Mm. Got a small mouth. But if only it didn't have all these teeth in the way. I know. <laughs> but it all have all these teeth in the way. Suck a golf ball through this thing. Just kidding. Mm. <laughs> Jesus. You should Sorry. be able to do a golf ball now, I think. That's Yeah. Yeah. Skill issue. Working your way up to Yeah, working your way up to tennis ball. I do not have a skill issue, don't worry. Sorry, I've got I'm I'm running on four hours of sleep here. Justin, I'm a Skullcom librarian. My pronouns are he and they. I'm Sadie. I work IT at a public library, and my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Jay. I am a music librarian. My pronouns are he, him. And I've got an actual real microphone, finally. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Woo! Do I sound beautiful and hot and lovely? You always do, Jay. Yeah, but now you're now I notice that you're you're tempted to get real close to the mic. Yeah. So you finally have mic discipline. (laughs) Which probably could have fixed a lot of the problems in the first place. Yeah. I just want to sound hot. That's like my number one goal in life. So as long as that's okay, then the hottest sounding bitch in the grocery store. I have to be the most (laughs) fuckable person in the grocery store. Listen. It's like this is true about me. That's not even an insult. That's just that's just that's just the them's the facts. It's just facts. But is is this close enough? Am I too close? Yeah, you're good. This is my You're first good. time. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> as long as you're not peeking it, it'll be fine. Okay, I'll try not to be myself. <laughs> try not to <laughs> yell straight into it when you're right in front of it. Yeah. Do the, like, when you have to hit a real high note and you have to put the mic real far away from you kind of thing so you, so you don't peek. Yeah. Yeah, I went to a, uh, a student's uh, recital and... She is like a trained opera singer, so she knows how to fucking fill a, a, a space without amplification. But she was singing a song that wasn't in, like in classical style. She was actually singing something from um, a musical, which then required amplification. Uh, and the sound people were not prepared to be able to adjust the microphone for someone who knows how to sing opera into a oh, microphone because no. it just went like peaked and you could see her like, dude. Like trying to adjust it, I was like, "God bless," because <laughs> um, she's got a lovely voice, right? Very powerful. Because again, opera, but mm-hmm. this wasn't opera. But that doesn't mean she ain't got the 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 vocal power. So she got pipes. Yeah, you would think with the fact that my dad's a musician and I like grew up in recording studios that I would um, not be as much of a bitch idiot about all of this. But <laughs> it did not rub off. Speaking of bitch idiots, yeah. OpenAI sued by authors alleging ChatGPT trained on their writing. Uh, it was by uh, novelists Paul Trimbley and Mona He's Awad. a horror writer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's nothing on this yet. It's just sort of uh, they're, they're arguing that it's probably trained on like Sci-Hub and LibGen, which I don't know if that's actually plausible, but could be. That might be in the training data. It depends just like who built the training set. Yeah. 
I still continue to wonder if attacking this actual threat to the industry from a copyright perspective is the correct way to go. It's got to get resolved one way or the other. Yeah, still, you know, smash the looms, you know. I really feel like the Oracle and the Google Books case are like pretty clear that if it's transformative, that it's fair use. Yeah. So I've had to read those cases in depth and it's like, yeah, that's kind of the main thing is like. If it's putting out, if it's not just pumping out like what it ingested, then it's if it's not just plagiarism, yeah, then it's yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm like, this is not the best angle of attack. We should be attacking, but I don't think anything that would seek to strengthen IP law is the right way to go. But yeah, I don't necessarily think the Google case is a bad one. No. I think it's a good one. I think transformative uses should be fair use, but I agree. This is like, this is also like when you're, when you end up siding with like the tech industry, like it causes other problems. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, Google should win this case. It's like, uh, it's like they should, but like, I don't, I don't want them to, but it's like, I, what they're, what the case is about, I want them to win, but I don't want them to win. You know, it's like Disney versus DeSantis or whatever. It's like, I don't want to be rooting for Disney, but I have to root for Disney. What's that fucking meme from the shitty Star Wars movie? I don't want him to win. I just like, I don't want them to win. I just need him to lose or whatever. Yeah. Well, there's the alien versus predator. Whoever wins, we lose poster. Yeah, that too. So yeah, that's, that's part of it. Also, I saw that the FTC opened an investigation into open AI right after this. I don't know if they were already going to do that or if this lawsuit has prompted them to, that's actually good. Yeah. And isn't there like multiple shenanigans with open AI in like the European union and like privacy stuff? Yeah, they have basically been doing the whole going around scaring people and saying, we need to let us regulate ourselves. You need to give us a license to run AIs. Or else the basilisk will kill us. Yeah. Y'all know what the basilisk is, right? Roko's basilisk, right? Yeah. Do you know yeah. about Roko's basilisk? Stupid. Yeah, it's it's this stupid thought argument that like AI will advance so much in the future that this supreme being or whatever, this basilisk will um, come true and then like kill all like back in time or something like the people who recreate. Yeah. It will like recreate you and then like kill you um, because you hadn't supported it ahead of time or something. And so it's like a thought experiment of like, we should support AI because what if the basilisk happens? And I'm like, the basilisk isn't real. <laughs> yeah that's kind of the point of the basilisk and it's, it's like turned real. into like a fucking death cult like with like yeah. um, agi and like and like everything like it's like turned into like a, a cult like an online cult um oh, like really like, like radicalizing people roko's basilisk yeah. okay i've got the wikipedia pulled up I'm- yeah it's like radicalizing people like weirdos yeah yeah the weird thing is they just took the concept of like modern sort of evolution like like Tyler Deschardin sort of had this theory of God that like God exists in the future. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so, and then has retroactive power over the past. So like human consciousness yeah. is like atomic to the world and humans will get more conscious. Humans will get then hive minded and then universal minded and that will create God. And then God will retroactively have power throughout the universe and, and then cause itself. Right. And then instead they added like, a, so you might as well believe. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was kind of like trying to give like a naturalistic like argument for the plausibility of God, I think was his, his argument. But this is the same thing. But then what if that God hated you? <laughs> like, and was they just basilisk. added that on? <laughs> and it's like, it has no I, reason to hate me. 
I for one welcome the basilisk. Let him wreck our shit. I don't care. <laughs> Fuck him. There's a character in questionable content who is a cop and her name is Roko Basilisk. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm sorry, people reported symptoms such as nightmares and mental breakdowns upon reading the theory due to its stipulation that knowing about the theory and its and its basilisk made one vulnerable to the basilisk itself. Like, that mm-hmm. sounds like mass That's why it's a basilisk, because when basilisks see you, you turn to stone, right? So even just see, yeah, yeah. This discussion led up the ba- le- this led to discussion of the basketballist being on the site being banned for five years. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? fucking death call. Yay. These like AI weirdos have been like cooking behind the scenes and not a lot of people know about these AI weirdos. Like the mainstream doesn't know about these AI weirdos, but they're out there. <laughs> There's a weirdos about everything, man. Not, I want to fuck the basilisk. They all turn I don't into know. death cults, yeah. RIP to them, but I'm different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Justin. I sent us on that tangent. Nope, it's fine. In further news. <laughs> I just wanted to cover the intro sentence because it was pretty catty because it's Book Riot. Despite the age of consent in Mississippi being 16, no one under the age of 18 will have access to digital materials made available through public and school libraries without explicit parental guardian permission. So, yeah, you can't access Hoopla or Overdrive or Libby in Mississippi without parental consent. Shit, shit sucks. Yeah. This is, is it Brooklyn? Is it Brooklyn Public Library, New York Public Library that's giving out cards for free to I think so. Like, literally anybody who's under 18 to their I think digital they had collection? Stop doing that. I think they restarted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I still see it going around. I think. I think one of the library systems around here did it too. Either might be SPL or King County or something. The Basilisk may have gotten me. I think SPL or uh, some, maybe even a system in California also was, was offering access uh, to either students of all of California. I don't know how the agreement with the vendors goes with this, but. Well, that's, I mean, isn't that the whole crux of the problem is that there is no good way for anybody to actually like regulate this, which is why they're just pulling access altogether. That that was my understanding. I mean, they're pulling access because they don't want anyone to read any books about queer people. And there's no way to set parental controls individually with these systems because like, why would there be? It's not yeah. your fucking cable box at home. It's not how that works. Um, I've been saving more news for like a news roundup. So maybe next week we'll do a news roundup. Yeah, because the fucking Montana thing. There's a lot of things. Yeah, Montana's in there. Um, some other stuff. I think I got Kentucky this time, maybe Iowa. But that was the news. So I've been looking for a scam um, ever since we saw that heist film, which I forgot about when I was listing out the films that we've seen on uh, Blue Sky. By the way, we're on Blue Sky now. Library of Hong Kong, Blue Sky. But we watched that one where the they were trying to do a heist of like a really big painting or something. American Animals. American Animals. Yeah, yeah I completely the forgot. With the Audubons. Audubon, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've been looking for like a heist kind of story. And here for this. this one, and I, and I wanted to get to one that like Lie, Cheat, and Steal hasn't done yet. And this one is pretty interesting because it starts off as kind of a, well, the subject of our story is a man named John Rogers who grew up, I want to say, in the the 70s and 80s during sort of the rise in baseball cards becoming collector's items 
and having like really large value. I mean, there were already some that were like highly valued, but this was like where collecting and, and more and more collecting was becoming like a business. He's just obsessed with them. So he uh, runs like a memorabilia shop. So he trades, you know, sports memorabilia, obviously cards, things like that. He talks about wanting to have this like extremely rare baseball card um, his whole life. And then he finally, at one point in the story, gets it. But he's so like obsessed with just doing deals that he sells it for a loss like six months later. Like this lifetime goal of his. So this is a guy who's like, can't help himself. It's a very good scam story because it's a guy who just can't stop the scam. And Cocaine it is him. involved. Cocaine is involved. My, yeah. favorite, my favorite line in this is he blamed his ruinous disgrace on his three preferred vices, greed, hubris, and cocaine. Me too, brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why greed and hubris are in there. And I feel like he, he could have pulled this off without cocaine too. <laughs> it just didn't help, I think. Yeah. Um, but what makes this sort of like a library story is, so he starts up this I want to get the year. So he's born in 73. So he's not that old. He's early 50s. He wants the T206 Honus Wagner card. And he sees it when he's a child. And uh, when he's in high school, he gets used to just sort of uh, hustling and doing all that. And he eventually liquidates some family money or something and opens a opens a store and he is let's see the launch of uh the beckett baseball card monthly magazine in the early 1980s and the authentic authentication and grading system which is like a huge thing now with collectibles um emphasized yeah. valuation condition so like people if you watch like card openers they're like oh i'm gonna send this off to get graded i'm gonna send this off to get graded because like basically you you get it graded like immediately on taking out of the pack now and you're like that's the grade and it's weighed and everything and it's uh and then you just like don't touch it now it's like an investment um so you don't even wait for things to get old so like right now in magic the gathering they printed 30 like 3 million packs or 30 million packs and one pack will have one card in it. Uh, and so everyone's like waiting to see if someone will find it. Um, and someone has already said, if you find it, we'll pay like $2 million for it. Jesus Christ. And this is all just like how magic runs its business now. Like, it's just like, we're going to make something super rare and people are going to go nuts for it because it'll be a collectible and it's people are weird consumers now. This seems sort of remis reminiscent of Beanie Babies. Yeah. It's Beanie Babies for boys. Yeah. Yeah. For nerds. Yeah. Well, more like men, because usually it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it's Beanie, it's Beanie Babies for men. That's, that's what this is. Although I do remember when I, I bought my first packs of Pokemon cards at the flea market, the guy selling it was like, you know, you got to hang on to these because they're going to be worth a lot one day. I'm like, eh, everyone says that about Beanie Babies. It won't be true. And I'm like, man, if I find those Pokemon cards, I could sell them for like a couple thousand dollars. <laughs> I could find my those wife's first got edition some Pokemon, Pokemon cards. cards that, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, uh, in the 90s, he sells uh, vintage baseball jerseys, World Series rings, uh, Elvis Presley's jukebox. And then in 2002, he pays $50,000 for the archives of Don Wingfield, a freelance photographer who shot for the Sporting News, Tops, and the Washington Senators. And it uses pictures to produce postcard sets in the 50s and 60s. John Rogers is not a photography person. He's a collectibles person. So he just kind of buys these things and realizes like, oh, these photos are really, really rare. I can sell prints of them and I can sell the photos themselves as mm. collectibles. Um, and he's also going to speculate like on the, on the future value of these, these, these 
these archives. So what happens is 2008, the financial crisis happens. Print journalism's in trouble because of the internet. Newspapers are losing cash. And so he starts offering to buy up the negatives and prints that they have in their storage because a lot of the corporate uh, archivists are also leaving the field. They're retiring because they're not getting their, they're not hiring new archivists. So they're not maintaining their institutional knowledge anymore. So there's no more desks at Room of Ladies. It's There's nobody there. And they're like, well, we've got all these negatives. What are we going to do? And some guy goes, I'll give you 50000 or $100,000 for it. And so that's how he kind of gets really into this game. It's interesting, though. What he would do is he would buy the original prints. So I guess like he would buy them for 50000 100000 They would take them away. They would digitize them, add metadata, and then give the database back to the original owner. So he would almost immediately offload the rarest stuff to make up for the costs. So he right. would offload like a negative of Mickey, Mickey Mantle in the nude that he reportedly sold for $25,000 like that. Right. So he could just sell them on eBay or whatever. Um, and he would send the newspaper a digital collection. And then if he got the copyright, then he would do prints or he could license them to ESPN and HBO. So then he's like, okay, well, we got to keep going. So then he gets the Denver Post, Boston Herald, Seattle Times, Chicago Sun Times, St. Petersburg Times. And as you might know, that's a lot of processing to do. Mm-hmm. That's so much. <laughs> yeah. The first thing I'm thinking is like, okay, I've made the decision to sell on the on the argument that I'm going to get this database back. That's a big leap of faith that like the database is going to be worth anything. Right. Yeah. Or useful. What happened was the first few ones were actually pretty good. And then they vouched for him to other newspapers. And then those other newspapers got screwed over. Mm. So pretty classic con artist shit, though, I think. Yeah, it's also very similar to like the kind of deals a library could get itself into today. Like I could see you falling like anyone falling for this. I kind of want to talk about that at the end. Like how libraries might fall for this today because uh, this wasn't that long ago he, he yeah. I think he got arrested and charged in 2017 king <laughs> um so he he basically like i said they would get them in but as soon as he got like all of these things he was immediately pulling out like the best ones even before they made the digital copies so and then he would sell them i guess before they make the digital copies in some cases it's that's not really clear from the article but it says someone who used to work for him said like it was a nightmare working for him. He'd make very public purchases and very private sales. So mm. like stuff would just get sold really quick. And then I'm not sure if that meant they had to go track him down and like grab the photo off of him and then like scan it. Or if I think at one point they, they said like there was a it was just like a packet of like a couple hundred negatives or something that he had just like picked out um, of different collections. Yeah, it sounded like they like he wasn't actually caring at all whether or not it was actually all like archived properly. It was like I I, I just want to get this shit in so I can turn around and sell it and you know fuck whatever archive. It's not like they're gonna you know what I mean. They're not gonna like go through and make sure every single photograph they handed over is there. But then again, they'll probably right. notice the really famous ones. So. I think he just didn't give a shit. Yeah. And actually, when he he first got the attention of the FBI, when he bought that T206 Honus Wagner card, because he threw a party 
to celebrate buying it for 1.62 million. And people thought like they were celebrating like a new child, like, like local politicians and stuff were coming by. Congrats on your bundle of joy. Yeah. They thought they were having a child named Honus, Honus, Honus Wagner. Revive that. Yeah. Honus is a good name. So that's why FBI paid attention because usually collectors, when they purchase something high value, they stay anonymous. And instead he's throwing a party, which is something most people don't do. Months after the auction, he offered the card on eBay for 2.5 million, didn't sell. So he uh, purportedly dumped it for a $600,000 loss in early 2009. Um, So he only hung on for it for a few months. He found publishers lining up to sit. So he has a friend who, who turns him on to like photographs. And then I'm trying to find. So yeah, he paid 500,000 to digitize Denver Post's archive of approximately 2 million photographs. Half a million dollars was a significant boost for us. And we were able to take the old images and bring them back to circulation um, as digital versions. He keeps the things. So he has a climate control facility in Little North Rock in Memphis. A small army of archivists sorted and processed the photographs and negative, cleaning, erasing edits, repairing, scanning them front and back. Minimum resolution of 300 dots per inch. They outsourced processing metadata to India and Bangladesh. And then the cash would then go back. Then the digital would go back to the, the paper. And if they still had the copyright, then the paper would start selling the pictures. And that also meant that photographers were, were still getting, were getting royalties on those sales too. So it's kind of a great deal for the early people, or at least they thought it was. Um, he was probably making out a lot more money selling some of the uh, individual ones. The guy from Los Angeles Daily News was was talked in by one of these early ones. So he deliberately held back particularly prized photos from the O.J. Simpson trial and the L.A. riots just to see, like, you know, just to make sure that they have the most valuable stuff. Seven figure t- checks. Because I kind of wanted to get to like how many people he was hiring, so it just is like an army of archivists, right? Um, but he's like in the news as like preserving America's sports history. Like people like really love this. Like he's digitizing everything. He's giving that back to the paper as part of the deal, and then he's you know selling on the rest as collectibles. So he gets this. Uh, oh, he buys the Sporting News in two thousand seven. And include uh, an archive of 600,000 photo prints and negatives and 8,354 original negatives shot by Charles Conlon, uh, who was uh, an early baseball photographer. Um, So these are sort of uh, very, very um, highly sought after photos and and moments in history. And uh, he was sort of a household name because of this book that came out um, with some of his photos. Uh, now Rogers owns his uh, life's work, and uh, it's in pretty good condition. He says like they had to do a lot to it, but actually, it's like now nah, it was it was in good condition. Um, it was appraised at eight point four million just months after the purchase. So he bought it. Does it say how much he bought it for? No, it doesn't. So I don't know how much, but like immediately, it's the Conlon stuff is is worth millions. So he's uh, selling them off with individual prints. Wasn't that the collection that he, like he claimed to somebody that like it was like buried under moldy cardboard and had to yeah. like dig out of this closet and all this stuff? And then his business partner at the time says, "No, they had it like in an office, like in archival boxes, perfectly organized for him." Like I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know why he's telling people that. Like, yeah, he's just like a habitual liar. He's a, he's a flim flammer. Um, he just like starts a story and just sees where it takes him. I think. It's like, just join an improv group, my dude. <laughs> but the next one is uh, the one I didn't want to 
get out of order. So then acquiring the George Brace archive, uh, 1929 photographer George Brace started shooting the Cubs at Wrigley and the White Sox at Comiskey, um, as well as visiting teams going through uh, Chicago. I can't believe you haven't made uh, the baseball player joke once yet. <laughs> well, because I know the, I, I know what I'm saying. You should do that to me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Brace died in 2002, leaving the archive to his family and his daughters, Mary and Kathleen, kept the business going. But buying the paper and darkroom supplies was increasingly prohibited. Kathleen died, so his daughter. And then Mary and her niece, Deborah Miller, decided to digitize the collection. They bought an expensive scanner but gave up. They said it would take them 15 years to finish it. So Rogers, I guess, knows them. He previously ordered prints from her. And he swoops in and says, I'm going to pay $1.35 million for the collection and copyright with an upfront payment of $500,000 to be followed by 10 annual payments. So he doesn't pay all at once. And he also promised to deliver a complete digital archive for the family's use. So the most important thing was like keeping it intact. And she gets like a verbal agreement from Rogers that they're going to keep it all together. And obviously not because he immediately picks out the rare photographs and sells them at auction. That's what he does. So she received the initial $500,000 payment from Rogers. She was supposed to receive $85,000 annually over the next decade, but the payment stopped after one year. Um, Rogers also failed to provide her with a complete digital copy of the Brace collection, as he had promised. I was supposed to retire with the money, she said. That's why I made the deal for 10 years, so it was something to live on that never came about. And I think she's testifying after the point where he's, like, done. He's cooked, so she's not getting that money. Uh, But that's, like, way at the bottom of the article after they introduce her. Um, But I did want to get to her story because that one was pretty bad. Yeah, like, she's one of a very long list at the end of that article of people who... Uh, were owed money by this guy through loans or broken contracts or, you know, fake memorabilia. He faked a lot of shit too. It wasn't just like turning around and selling stuff that was actually good, like worth something. He was, he was faking shit too. Yeah. I think he was making forgeries to, it sounded like it was the forgeries were not to sell, but to entice people to donate to his collection be like, look, I'm taking care of these. Although there is one where I think it said he trimmed it or something to make it look like it was in better condition than it was before selling it. So it would up the grading. His reputation soared so high that he's no longer paying six or seven figures for it. They were handing that for newspaper photo archives. They were handing them over practically gratis in exchange for the digitization services. So this is the part where I'm like, okay, this is starting to sound like, like something a library would do. It's just like, we'll pay you to do the thing. Right. Uh, instead of you paying us for the thing that you're you're getting something out of. So he says, we took on too much digitization work. The cost outweighed the revenue. No shit. You know, we're creating new revenue streams, and I believe fully we'll pull out of this. I don't know. I didn't make a note of when he said that. He said that after he had been arrested. I finished reading this article earlier today and got to that part where he's still making promises after he's, like, arrested and waiting to be sentenced and shit. They also promised that they scan the images at a certain DPI. So I think it was a three 300 DPI minimum. They scanned them at 200 DPI and then converted it to 600 DPI. So they just converted the files. <laughs> so you just got this shitty blurry photo. Yeah. It's like, that's not. <laughs> that was just funny to me. I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> like, it doesn't take that much more time unless you're using cheap scanners or something. But he's presumably already has like really expensive scanners. So I don't, maybe he outsourced some of the scans or something to someone with a, an iPhone or something. 
But yeah, uh, he worked good for for early clients and who then vouched for him and he was monetizing. So so that brings me to thinking about like think discussions I've had with our office of tech commercialization where they're like, have you got a collection in the library that we could turn into a database and then like lease access to, you know, like a maps collection or a GIS collection or something like that. It's like that like ProQuest can sell, right? My job's all about making this stuff free. It's like half a ProQuest shit is just like archives that they've scanned and then made proprietary. Yeah, we actually, weirdly enough, today I got an email that one of our already digitized and already openly available things is uh, collections JSTOR is interested in. So we're going to let JSTOR copy those over and put them in an open access collection. But like the copyright's not transferring or anything. It's just like you can use our scans and you can put it in this open access collection because we already have it available open access. So that's sort of like our introduction. But then the the question is like, if this goes on, are they going to give us like some money to digitize the rest of these collections that they're interested in? Or are we going to have to pay them or what's going to happen? So I'm, I'm keeping an eye on like, I'm curious as to like who would pay for it if they wanted to see the rest of these non-digitized collections of, of these like rare newspapers we have. They're like, they're like uh, union newspapers from the 60s and 70s. Nice. By the yeah. way, hell yeah, support the writers and actors strike. Solidarity forever. That's right, boys. Mondo cool. Hot strike summer, baby. Let's fucking go. <laughs> it is hot. They're on strike. But yeah, this is the first time in what, 60 years they've both been on mm-hmm. strike at the same time? The, la- the last time they did it, Ronald Reagan was the president of SAG. <laughs> nice. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, and right now, uh, the nanny, Fran Drescher, is. Yeah. So going back to Rogers, um, it all starts to like fall apart for him. He's like bouncing checks left and right. People are like, "How are? where are you getting money from? How are you getting money? How's the income happening? How are you paying for like a New York City condo and a mortgage on a McMansion? The FBI was sort of already investigating the memorabilia market going on from the 90s. Yeah. The auction house he bought it from, the the T206 Horse Wagner card, that auction house was like shut down um, for phony and altered memorabilia. And then, oh yeah, so his business partner is working with the with the feds and uh, because, because of the fraud at the auction house. And he's talking to Rogers and Rogers is also working with the feds. And Rogers baits uh, him, the other guy, Alan, into confessing he was wearing a wire, which means his the, the FBI was like, well, you admitted you're wearing a wire. This is useless now. Um, so Alan lost his chance at a reduced sentence and went to prison for 57 months. Um, and Rogers said, yeah, I just wanted to screw him over. Yeah, you're wearing a wire. I'm wearing a wire. So I don't even know if he was, they're both wearing a wire, but he was already working with the FBI. No, no, he, it's, it's, it says that he, he knew that he was double agenting. So he wore a wire and recorded the conversation of the other. Oh, okay. Yeah. And my favorite, my favorite part of this story is when he realized that this guy was basically playing double agent and had told him that the FBI was planning on raiding his businesses and his home. They're at a restaurant. His business partner goes to the bathroom. He grabs the guy's phone, finds the FBI agent's number and calls him like the Mm -hmm. pure balls on him to be like, I know you're raiding my house. Like, I know you're coming. Don't hurt my dogs or my family. Like he's playing double agent. Bye. (laughs) 
And then when they did raid his shit, he had like, for one, he knew they were coming. So he had everything cleaned up, but he had, they found a notebook with a bunch of practices of forged signatures, including Mm -hmm. one in the script of Babe Ruth that was addressed to the FBI agent. Yeah. To my pal, Brian, the finest FBI agent. King shit. King shit. That dude had balls (laughs) and cocaine. Uh, yeah, I mean, cocaine helps. I'd I'd let him hit, you know. <laughs> Jay, have some dignity. No, <laughs> that's a, that's the thing about these. That's the thing about these con stories is like people who pull them off are really like affable people. They're really magnetic personalities. But he's also like vindictive, right? And he's uh, screwing over a lot of people. He screwed that lady out of her retirement. Uh, an old lady, like she yeah, was older, sister shit, yeah. died. Yeah, yeah. But people like him, right? You know, all right up to the end, they're like, well, he's a fun hang, you know? <laughs> the, the, the Babe Ruth fake signature, the FBI, like, hello, Mr. Policeman. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, yeah, the fucking snowman. <laughs> hello, Mr. Police. I left you all the clues. Yeah. And so once they start doing forensic accounting of his financial records, uh, this then unleashes uh, a tsunami of lawsuits uh, that exposes scams, unpaid loans, and fraudulent collateral. Um, So basic uh, sort of investor bullshit. I think that was why some of the fabricated memorabilia was there. It It was collateral. Maybe I got that wrong. And the scans, uh, the thing he gave me were a couple hundred photos, she said. Uh, the Mary Brace, the woman who, who didn't get her payout. He just got uh, a, f- a couple hundred random photos, not the whole collection. Uh, so then uh, his wife sues for divorce. She gets full ownership of like the, the business, the couple's home and other properties, a 2012 Mercedes, custody of the three children who were all teenagers, was sold later out of foreclosure. Not the teenagers, the house. Um, skeptics view the divorce as a move to protect assets from creditors, which I believe it. It's <laughs> so romantic. Guy, he'd, be I like, love it. he'd be like, babe, we got to, I'll, I'll be out in 50 months. I love it. Take to, and, and like, this is a guy who knows this to, to stash money somewhere. Right. So he's like, okay, check this bank account, check this bank account, check this bank account. Don't tell anyone where they are. It's so good. Well, the, and the thing that the one of the other things that got me about this is hold on, let me find it in the actual article is when they had confiscated all of his shit and then they hired somebody to start to like sell it off to cover all of the debts and everything. And somebody contacted that guy and made like three separate offers trying to get certain things out of it. And but if you traced, they traced it back, and like the guy who was the CEO of that company, or like who was the president of that company, was also the CEO of the parent company that owned like a different auction house that he had like bought and sold a bunch of stuff. So it was very much like clearly like an insider job trying to get all of these materials like back and in a safe place. So when he came back out, he still had them. Which like is also a, a bold move. It might be. It might be at the very, very end because I'm forgetting. I think that. it's at the very end. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, red alert. Yeah, he was he was selling people the same thing for different prices and different interests in like the the collection. Yeah, Red Alert and its CEO, Timothy Holly, buy the entirety of the receivership's asset except for the Conlon collection. 
made three different authors uh, offers that were rejected by the court. Oh yeah, he he hasn't abandoned the business even though he sits in prison. There's a website for Regal Photo Archive, which uh, is very clearly an act for or a front for the Rogers Photo Archive, which is what he had, what he called it before. And they claim to own all of the same exact collections. Let's see. Recent legal listing describes Regal as a subsidiary. So Regal is a subsidiary of El Dorado, which also owns Red Media Alert, who are the ones who tried to buy back everything. El Dorado is Timothy Hawley, who is also the president of Red Alert Media. So it's like clearly this one dude who he's friends with is trying to buy all of his shit back. So he still has it when he gets out of prison. Yeah. Yeah. He also, it's also interesting how he gets nabbed the second time. So he's, he's on, he's out on bail or something and he decides to go steal and he he has to stay away from his former business. He goes to the North Little Rock one and takes three, five terabyte hard drives with over 1 million scans, including the metadata that he claimed to own. And so he gets nabbed on burglary. (laughs) He gets nabbed on burglary charges for that. So he's like, what? Stealing from myself? What? Um, but he literally was not allowed to go back to the business. So um, I don't know what his plan was for those photos, but obviously he got caught right away. He was selling counterfeit items, including a fake commemorative football from the first Super Bowl. He revoked Rogers Bond and ordered him held at Chicago's Correctional Center until sentencing. So he's just like doing crimes the whole time. He's like out on, on Bond. Eight-year prison term was boosted to nearly 12 years. He is expected to get out in 2027, followed by three years of supervision, which I assume during which three years he will be uh, buying and selling stuff and then right back into jail. It doesn't seem like he can stop himself. It's a a toss-up whether it'll be the cocaine or the thievery that happens first. But Mm -hmm. they're both definitely going to happen again. Well, he's going to have to do thievery to get the cocaine. Or maybe he needs the cocaine to get the balls to do the thievery again. And then it's an Ouroboros, and then maybe he just gets yeah. like you know decision paralysis and can't move forward at all. Which it is a it would only be better himself. if his wife could. Yeah, it would only be better if his wife could di- divorce him again. Right? Like, what if they like mar- got married again and then divorced? And then divorced, mm-hmm. and then she took whatever shit he had acquired since then. Right. And, and we continue in perpetuity. God. And that's what being heterosexual is. Yep. Yep. It's, the thing that gets me the most about this whole story is just it's such a goddamn shame. Because, like, I think somebody says it. If he would have just not been, like, hyper-focused on the thrill of the deal and actually done what he had told people he was going to fucking do with these archives, he could have continued to, like, make decent money and have done something good for the world. But no, it was cocaine and greed and hubris and this nothing else. This is what unmanaged ADHD does to a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> He's self-treating with cocaine. Yeah, self-treating with cocaine. Jesus I was Christ. Like, I'm like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> oh, no. That's why it sounded familiar. (laughs) I was like, it's okay, King. (laughs) Let's get you some Concerta. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think he's going to be allowed near stimulants for a long time. (laughs) Nope. Yeah, I hope not. But like, it's one of those like Adele, we could have had it all moments, right? Like reading this, thinking about like the archive that could have come out of this and the public good cool. that could have come out yeah. of this. And it didn't because this one man just 
had to chase something. Yeah, it could have been like a like a for profit DPLA or a, like you know JSTOR kind of situation. So just DPLA? Of, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is, is DPLA for profit? I just never remember. No, no, no. Was, I was joking. I was making a stupid joke. I don't think it's for profit. No, it can't be. And like Mary Brace is really like to me the like true victim of this because she kept such meticulous care of her father's collection. And it was so Mm -hmm, important to her to keep it all together. And then it was like, she had this opportunity for retirement and then she just gets fucked over in every way. It's just, it's a fucking travesty. It really is a fucking travesty. This is why communism, this is why capitalism ruins everything. It does. Mm -hmm. This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah, and this is why archives don't get digitized because it's too much work. Even if you're making money off of uh, selling off the best photos, which the library doesn't do. Right. In other news, I have a new business idea where university libraries will pay me to take ownership of their junk, and I will scan it and send it back to them. <laughs> I promise. Is cocaine involved? Could be. I'm in. <laughs> Cocaine, openly taunting FBI agents, Babe Ruth. Yeah. This has it all. Man, let's do it. Hello, Mr. Police. The John D. Fuck Smith photo archive. Yeah, that this is This, this is, is where John D. Fuck Smith gets his money. We are John D. Fuck Smith. We've gone we, we We've been John D. Fuck Smith this entire time. Surprise, bitches. Surprise, bitch. Thought you'd seen the last of me. <laughs> the John D. Fuck Smith was in you all along. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm feral tonight. <laughs> I mean, I've been hanging out with some feral people. It's not even registering. <laughs> not even registering one bit. <laughs> I think that pretty much covers everything. We are being cited uh, by an undergraduate in a paper. <laughs> yeah, shuts out. We should watch our language. Uh, they're adults. No, we absolutely <laughs> should not. <laughs> okay. Their professor them, will then come let, listen to us. <laughs> Yeah. Let them say fuck. Let them say Let, fuck in <laughs> academic papers. Say Let fuck the undergrad say papers. fuck. Let the undergrad say fuck in their paper. There's just the, the funny little ending line is um, not long after Rogers was imprisoned, teenagers took to the diamond using hundreds of wooden bats and baseballs that Rogers had desecrated with fake autographs. The FBI had seized the equipment during its investigation. After rubbing off the forged signatures, the FBI gave the gear to local youth baseball leagues. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so they're just brand new bats and baseballs. So yeah, that's uh that's the story of uh is it John John Rogers. I don't know. I guess I'll steal the bit from uh from Lie Cheat and Steal. So uh verdict. Was it worth it? He got I think eight years. Twelve. He got boosted oh, he, because he it said twelve, but it said he was like out in like twenty twenty seven. I guess that's twelve years from two two thousand seventeen. 2015? I don't know. Anyway, he got somewhere between 8 and 12 years. Okay. Yeah. So, hmm. It's too long of a prison sentence just to live the high life for... Well, he was doing good for, what, 2008? 2008 to 2017. So he's got got 9 good years and then 12 bad years. So I'm going to say no. Not enough good time. He didn't. He didn't take his time long enough. Maybe if you got a shorter prison sentence, I'd say worth it. Yeah. Yeah, not not worth it. Prison abolition is my answer. <laughs> Jay wants to do it. Especially for stupid shit like this. Are you kidding me? 
Like, <laughs> yeah. No, this is all pretty stupid. Yeah. Like, I don't care what happens to him. I want that nice lady to get her retirement money back. Mm-hmm. She did win a judgment against him. There you go. Cool. And the remains of her father's collection were were sold to Digital Archive Group. Cool. So I think they've saved as much of it as they can, but I don't know if if he's ever going to be able to pay back that default judgment because uh, he's in prison and not making any money. So I don't know if she'll get it. Yeah, in that case, like if you're going to make it so that someone has to like pay a thing, but then you put the person who's supposed to pay it in prison, then the person yeah, who is supposed to get that money is never going to get it. So like this, like who's this benefiting become- here? Can we like go fund me for this nice lady? Like, I hope she's doing all right. I mean, you know, I hope like, so. Like, I mean, fuck him. Fuck him. Don't, I mean, don't put it in prison. Don't put anybody in prison. But make sure the people who got screwed over get unscrewed. The thing that really got me though is that there was just like this entire FBI investigation probe into fake sportsman memorabilia. Like, hello, Mister Police. The the most useless thing you could be focusing your attention on it's it's always the rich people shit right it's only shit that rich people care about yeah fascinating story though he can hit it once <laughs> it's like the Donkey Kong meme was it worth it I don't know but Jay just, would like just to hit for it the once. just mm-hmm. just for the the Babe Ruth F signature thing just for Do that Graham. I'm saying for that, he gets to hit it once. Because <laughs> that's a good bit. <laughs> I can't find Mary Brace online. And all the obituaries good I found her. are not her. So hopefully she's doing all right. Good for her. It, if, you, if you're listening to this, Mary, we're on your side. We're on your side. Is that better? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Cool. Found another obituary. Still not her. Okay, so hopefully she's out there. She will. She'll live forever. Getting it done. We are on Blue Sky now, all of us. Uh, So go to Library Punk on Blue Sky, and the rest of our handles are in the description. Yep. And... Oh, I've got an invite code. Yeah, I've got one too. Um, I I told Audrey I was going to give it back to her, um, because she gave me that one to set up the Library Punk account. Um, I was on Data Transfer, a transfem reading of Digimon, and yeah. I was on Postponies, a transfem reading of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. And I will be on Jay's podcast, Tender Subject, in like th- August. Four or five weeks. <laughs> yeah, in August. You've got uh, two episodes ahead of you. Um, so you've got, yeah, it'll be like in like a month and a half. I think that's everywhere I've been. Yeah. Listen to my podcast. It's good, I swear. Get your podcast on. Yeah. Sadie, you should come on sometime. Be a weirdo. It'll be great. All right. All right. Good night.